welcome to Interview in this Inspirations. This is Marshall Paris. And this is Joshua Busia, and we're here today with Mr. Joe Frankie the Third, CEO of Joe Frankie Third Associates, former Chief of Staff and Director of the Army and Air Force Exchange Services, the $7.5 billion Walmart of the military, and he's also an author and published the book The Five Minute Drill for Executive Networking Success. Thank you so much for being here today, and we're so excited for you to be on our show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on. So kind of get us started out and so we can kind of get an understanding of a little bit of who you are. Can you tell us what is the most exciting and memorable thing that you did whenever you were in your 20s? Um, when I graduated from West Point and got commissioned in the Army, I was assigned to a unit at Fort Hood that very shortly, like within six months, deployed uh, to Germany. You know, um, the Soviets were kind of making a ruckus on the Czech border. And so uh, they deployed my battalion and other battalions over uh, into Germany. And so once we got into Germany, it was really interesting uh, just being uh, thrust into a new culture. And uh, it, it was just, it was fun. It was a lot of hard work, uh, what we were doing. But just uh, I, I bought a book and tried to teach myself German and... Uh, learn some phrases and uh, in Germany if you have some free time all you have to do is be able to get to a train station and you can be just about anywhere. Oh really? So what would you say like while you were in Germany did you have any places or any experiences that which is completely different from whenever you were in America that just absolutely stuck in your mind? Well first of all uh, Germans do not depend on cars. In other words you don't need to be able to own a car Owning a car in Germany uh, at that time was a very expensive proposition, you know, because, uh, you know, tax-wise, any kind of wise, fuel-wise, I mean, it was very expensive. But the beautiful thing about Germany is you could get anywhere on a, a train and then go to a streetcar, you know, type thing and, and get where you wanted to go. I mean, mass. But, you know, Germany was only half the size of the state of Texas. Yeah. You know, so, but I mean, uh, uh, it was interesting to just be able to get anywhere you wanted to go. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And what part of uh, Germany were you in? We were in Bavaria. And so uh, Bavaria has its own um, customs and almost language. In fact, really? it was amazing uh, that if you're a news anchor over there, you have to be certified to be able to speak German that could be understood all the and, you know, so, yeah, so they had a, a uniform language that news people used, but uh, there was dialects uh, naturally in Bavaria and I'm sure other places. That's awesome. So, interviewing inspiration, you already got a little intro to Mr. Joe. Also, we got to know that he is on the top. He does the, he does excellent recruiting and he's an expert in teamwork. So, can you tell us a little bit about that and like what are you working on now? Well, what I do now is I do executive search. So I help companies build their own executive uh, teams when they have a, a void or a need. Uh, sometimes that, most of the times that might be just one individual. Sometimes it might be, you know, a series of individuals. And then what I learned from uh, working uh, in a big company that did that, and then working with a partner and now working with my own team, is you end up having to do a lot of coaching and counseling to get people, you know, ready mm -hmm. to be a good candidate, you know, for a uh, client. Mm -hmm. 
And so I learned that using LinkedIn and uh, other tools, uh, you could further develop people. That's really what I did in the Army for 30 years was basically develop people um, along the way. And so this was a natural uh, step into helping develop ex executives to better merchandise themselves. How do you sell yourself better for what you want to do? In other words, if you know where you're at mm -hmm. and know where you want to go, there's a bridge to build for you to get there. That's, that's very interesting. That They may know what they need to do in the job necessarily, but they don't know how to market themselves, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, and because uh, a lot of the marketing is done, okay, uh, hey, I know Marshall, I know Josh, and so uh, that particular type of marketing has been around since the Pharaohs. And there's nothing wrong with it. It is the absolute best marketing. But if you want to leverage uh, the modern world and use the exponential power as opposed to additive power, then you have to be able to use tools like LinkedIn and other methodologies, you know, that are going to get you out there in front of uh, people that are actually searching for you. And especially now with like technology, I mean, LinkedIn, I know that wasn't back then when in the past, but so now LinkedIn is definitely a good source. And what other other stuff do you use or like what do you think is beneficial other than LinkedIn? Um, there are probably other social media sources. The one uh, that I particularly concentrate on because I live on the business side of things and what has sort of become the de facto professional uh, social media uh, channel that everyone seems to know and be able to operate on is is LinkedIn. Will there be others? I'm certainly sure there will. I mean, this is a capitalistic society yeah. and, and the new best ideas around the corner. But, you know, LinkedIn was acquired by Microsoft, so they're not going to have any shortage of money as far as developing what they need to develop in order to, you know, I'd say capture and continue to gain market. Absolutely. And can we actually get a little bit of an idea of how did you actually get started? Like, where did you start your career? You started out in the military. What lessons did you learn there that you're able to actually carry on to everything that you're doing now? Well, let's back up even further uh, before that. So I grew up in the lower Rio Grande Valley on <clears throat> near Brownsville, a little town 10 miles north of Brownsville called Los Fresnos. So uh, we lived about three miles out of town. The town had 1,252 people at that time. And so uh, we lived off a farm road. And so uh, what I learned growing up is the family had businesses. So my, uh, our family had uh, a restaurant that had been in the family since 1928. And then my aunt and uncle had the Phillips 66 service station. Oh. And so the family way of training you is apprenticing you in the family business, right? So basically experience hands-on. Yeah, so I mean I learned uh, how to uh, how to do uh, plumbing work with my dad, you know, up and unstop stuff, work on water heaters, clean air conditioning filters, ventilation fans. And my sister did a lot of the waitressing and all that kind of stuff that that. <clears throat> and then on my aunt and uncle's side, it was a filling station, so I learned how to change oil how to fix uh, tires and tractor tires. I mean, there's some real work involved before there were all these uh, 
modern day tools. I mean, you needed a strong, a strong back and 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 be able to apply leverage yes. <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So wash cars, change oil, lubricate chassis, uh, all that kind of stuff that was with an old filling station and make bulk deliveries of fuel, you know, with a little tanker truck and go out and, yeah. you know, put fuel out on a farm out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, so the tractors could fuel up, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, you know, the younger years. But people often ask me because they say, well, what is the toughest thing you've ever done? And what they expect to hear is some combat story or story from the Army. And I said, the toughest thing I ever did was show up in August for Coach Tom Sue's football practice. <laughs> you know, it's a hundred yeah, it's a hundred degrees down in the valley and uh, you know, it's gonna be a three hour practice and and it was brutal. And he didn't play in the late evening where it was nice and cold. It was right in the middle of where it was hot in the day. Well I mean it was just hot down in the valley it's hot at night. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's always hot. And it's humid, so you know, uh, you you could uh, perspire, but it wasn't going anywhere <laughs> other than <laughs> running down your leg or whatever. So you would say, like, as a young boy, you started working, like, with your parents in the in the station. You would say, like, doing the hands-on work, that's what, like, really kind of shaped my, fa my father and grandfather were uh, big believers uh, that you needed to know uh, hard work. And so uh, in the agricultural community, you had harvests. So when I was old enough to go out and participate in those harvests, cutting grain, you know, uh, one of my uncles uh, had combines and he cut grain. So, you know, I was employed out there, you know, uh, helping uh, get the grain cut for various farmers. And then I figured out real quick that it's a lot less work to drive a truck. <laughs> so I got my operator's license, uh, commercial operator's license at 16, and I drove, you know, grain trucks to the elevator. You know, because that sure beat the... Uh, Out in yeah. the sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, as you kind of, your responsibility uh, picked up, but it, it was a good uh, learning environment. The high school was small, so you knew everybody in your class. I mean, uh, 425 people in the high school. My graduating class had about 80 mm -hmm. some odd. So. Yeah, very small school. And the coaches had to actually recruit teams. They weren't issued teams. Interesting. Interesting. So they just selected the best people to be in that school. Well, I mean, you have to. I mean, if you go to a 4A school where there's a couple of thousand people as opposed to, you know, 425. Yeah. But it's, you don't yeah. have a lot to choose from. But the beautiful thing about the small schools were everybody could do something, right? You could play basketball and everybody had an opportunity. Mm -hmm. if, if you went to a big school, and I saw this with my kids. Man, if you weren't on the practicing league or the community leagues of soccer for 10 years, and because we moved around, so we were always the new people. And so it was really hard for them to. You weren't necessarily going to be on the team and be. Part yeah. Of that and yeah. So after that, how can you tell us a little bit about what you did after that? You went to West Point and then military. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I uh, basically graduated in May, and by 1 July, you know, I reported to the U.S. Military Academy and uh, uh, for the shock of my life, you know, because it was a big change. Yeah, uh, and, you know, we didn't have that many people in the Rio Grande Valley that, you know, had been to an academy. So I only had like maybe one person to talk to. And he had gone in 1921. 
And yeah. so I, I figured well, there's there, a little yeah. bit of change, few changes in the last yeah. 50 years later. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Like how was, how was that experience? What, what did you learn there? Uh, you learn that uh, um, you're going to have to learn things fast. And uh, the uh, first two months of the academy, which is called uh, New Cadet Basic Training, is kind of what they call it uh, now. And it was uh, New Cadet Barracks when I went there. And the older people call it beast barracks, uh, you know. But uh, it was, you were going to uh, learn all kinds of different things, but mo more importantly, you were going to learn to, one, adapt and overcome. And the system was designed, unless you wanted to be there, unless you personally wanted to be there, you, were. uh, you weren't going to stay there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's sort of those people out pretty quick. If you went for your mom and dad, I mean, you had to have it in your heart that this is what you want to do. And, and <clears throat> you know, my little small town, I did get everybody to, you know, everybody in town kind of helped me get in there. So, you know, there was not, you know, mm -hmm. my mother said, you know, either come back with your sword or on your shield, <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that basically everyone was rooting for you. Everyone did. And uh, it, you know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't academically prepared, mm -hmm. you know, coming from a small school mm -hmm. compared to somebody in, uh, Fairfax, Virginia, that had uh, calculus in, mm -hmm. in high school, you know. Yeah. So, like, anyway. I just want to, like, I want to see, like, how did that help you, like, transition, like, more into the business world? How did, like, being in the military, like, the military gives you the core, your core values. Did that help you? Or, like, what values do you use the most to? I'd say uh, in business, uh, people really want to know that they can trust you. Uh, the the more senior the the dealings in business, it's all about you know uh, trust because you don't have that much time to fool around and you know uh, um, and if you didn't know somebody, well somebody's going to vet you through somebody else that you know. I mean, y'all do the same thing mm -hmm, yeah. uh, today, so I think uh, trust and integrity is uh, is paramount and. Uh, if you have trust and integrity and communicate in, in a way, then there's not going to be any miscommunication. Mm -hmm. And hence, if there's no miscommunication, there's no reason to sue each other. Yeah. So. So those are, the, you would say those three core values would be like very beneficial for a business in order to succeed. Really. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and think about it. You can't train integrity. I mean, that's a character that's value. That's really got to have come. By the time you were five, six, seven years old, that's family kind of installed, I, I, I kind of think. Like, for example, if you had poor judgment, right? I could train you uh, on how to improve your judgment, right? Mm -hmm. But I can't train you to have initiative. To have I can't train you to be an honest person, you know? That's true. That comes from before. So what are the things, have you actually been able to see that you just can't train in leadership. Some things that people just have to have, or maybe it's they could develop it and make it better. The things that you have to have is you, at least in the military, and it helps uh, immensely in businesses. You have to be decisive. In other words, you have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, uh, for example, um, 
we take a small group of people, ROTC cadets, mm -hmm. and we'll say, hey, <clears throat> you've got six people, there's enemy on this hill, and you're gonna, you're gonna <clears throat> go up there and you know re recon that hill and see if you can see him. So on their way up there, <clears throat> I would drop an artillery simulator. They wouldn't know it. So whoever the leader is, that thing goes boom. And then so, well, you know, what do they do now, right? I mean, this wasn't in the plan, you know. And so the important thing is uh, that they make some decision. Maybe the decision is lay down. Maybe the decision is run left. Maybe the decision is run right. But if you have somebody that freezes and nothing happens, um, you know, you a lot of cases you can't train that mm -hmm. out of somebody. In other words, if they went left and it wasn't a good decision based on the scenario they were given, well, we can sit down and talk about that after the fact, mm -hmm. and you have that data point and you can do something with it. But trying to get you to react to something, uh, well, it's just difficult and, and, and you know, what that tells me is uh, maybe this isn't for you. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just means that leading people in the military where it's uh, unstructured events happen all the time. You know, this this isn't your forte. And what about kind of the contrary? What are some things that even though they don't necessarily have it, like characteristics or like behavioral traits that they need to have, but if they don't have it to start out, that's okay. Uh, characteristics from what standpoint? So say that even something like selfishness or something like that, something along those lines, someone being selfish versus someone being very caring and reaching out to someone else kind of thing. Yeah, I think you can, you can show uh, uh, through various instances and experiential learning. So, for example, uh, the military is really good about experiential learning, you know, you know, we're not going to send you to school for this. We're just going to kind of drop you into the pool. Mm -hmm. You know, are you going to swim? That's what I'm talking about, decisiveness. The guy that's not going to make a decision, he's going to go all the way to the bottom mm -hmm. and not do do something, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I think that's a, a good aspect. And so when that happens so early in the military, somebody coming out of the military has got all these experience sets that people that just went through in the civilian world don't get those maybe to another 10 years, you know, because they just come like. So we like to give responsibility to people very early and hold them accountable. Accountable is the right word. So if you could like narrow it down to say two or three like characteristics or like traits, you as an experienced leader, what would those be? Like for our audience, like what, what do they need to work on to become a better leader? If you want to be a better leader, you better be the best listener in the world. Okay, my grandfather always told me, he says, God gave you two ears. So at a minimum, listen twice as much as you talk. <laughs> you know, and so his whole point was, is uh, you can learn from a, a lot of people, but you got to be listening. I mean, if you're, if you're talking to a person that's knowledgeable, right? you're not gaining anything, you're just exchanging some information. But if you're listening to that person and they're, they're relating, you know, uh, something that's, you know, going to go into your kind of knowledge base or what have you, then you're the one that benefits. Absolutely. That's, that's very insightful. And 
So let me make sure I can say this right. So whenever you're actually developing leaders and you're actually taking someone onto your team, what's something that you actively look for whenever you're deciding, yes, they're gonna come onto my team or no, they're not gonna be a really good fit? Um, hey, I try to explain what the culture of this team is. Okay, the team already exists. Okay, you're coming in to the, the team. So by you coming in the team, we don't, the team is not gonna reorient, readapt, you know, drop all they're going to think doing, and we're going to go by your alphabet. So when somebody comes into the team, they've got to be, you know, adaptable. And so one of the things I tell all the uh, youngsters I deal with is people will say, well, you know, I want to do this, but I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing this right now, and I don't think it's going to lead to that. And I said, well, stop worrying about, you know, where you're going to go and figure out how you're going to do this, like, the pro from Dover. You're going to be the best person that's ever done this, and uh, you're going to try to take uh, other people's load off of them. You're going to have some initiative. You know, you're going to. And uh, what happens is you earn the right of the team to be in, included. So what I looked is I look for adaptability. You know, loyalty. Now, the team has to be loyal to the individual mm -hmm. and the, the team has to be loyal, you know, to itself and to whoever the project leader is mm -hmm. or else it's just not going to work. And what we want is production, mm -hmm. right? And so I say if you're listening, then you're taking on information from the team, right? And so the team has knowledge that you don't have. Because you have an experience set, you have experience set. So what we're doing is we're building a collect collective situational awareness of, you know, what we're doing. Thank you so much. And unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. So for the last question, we'd like to know if you were working with a young person today, someone who wants to become the top of their field, they really want to go out, they want to help as many people as possible. What's something that you get them started on to ensure that they were able to get to the top? What's something that you would have them work on in order to do that? Okay. First of all, with, with young people, it's great to have a plan, okay? In fact, uh, I had one of my company commanders tell me, says, Lieutenant, right now you just need to plan that you're going to be the chief of staff of the Army. And... And I'll never forget that. And he said, so you need to be doing everything that you can do, extremely professional, with your heart in it and everything. And then what's going to happen is people are going to recognize your contributions. And oh, by the way, if you're working harder and volunteering, you're going to get 1% or 2% done more than your peers this week. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get 8% done more than your peers over the month. You see where all those numbers are going, right? Yes. You so it's know. like exponential growth, what you were talking about. Right. So if you do, if you're doing something new, or you help somebody else out, the fact that you're helping them out, you have to take on information. You have to figure out how you're going to fit in, mm -hmm. and see all that's experiential. And what you want to do is go round and round in that circle as many many times as you have. And so I always say. Uh, hey, I got this job. It's not exactly what I wanted. I said, that's not a problem. Guess what? <laughs> Everybody gets that. You know, been there, done that. I said, got all the merit badges for that. And I said, what you got to do is do your best at it. And, uh, 
learn as much as you can about it because what you're doing is you're accumulating uh, knowledge as, as you go and experience and dealing with things, you know. Problem solving, really getting in there. Right, and the key. More. Yeah, the key is solving problems. Well, interview and inspiration, that was Joe. I hope you got those amazing tips from him. Coming from someone like that is very rare, so I hope you got the tips that he comes from. Uh, also, make sure to read his book to get more amazing stories from him. Uh, the five-minute drill for executive networking success. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. You're going to inspire so many people, and we'll see you next week. Oh, this was fun. Thanks for having me. From everyone here at Interviewing Inspiration, we'd like to say thank you for all of our listeners and all of the people who have supported us. We'd also like to say thank you for the people in Interviewing Inspiration who has made this possible. Harshva Adani, our co-owner and producer. Matthew Regawi, the head of business development and operations. Avin Passoir, the creative director. Matthew Martinez, the business and technical advisor. We'd also like to give a special thank you to Mark LaCour for helping us get started up. He's actually got some podcasts of his own. Go check them out. They're about oil and gas, and they're actually really great. In addition, Cameron Turin, the creator of our music for this podcast. And everyone who has come on the show to be interviewed and share their knowledge. Thank you.